Uh, passage today is found in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 4 through 15. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. The next stop, the next stop after leaving Tari was uh, Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day, we went to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, glad you're here. Welcome to everyone who's watching online as well. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and uh, yeah, I'm just glad you're here. Have you ever had an experience in life, maybe a certain circumstance or maybe just life in general, where the way you end up going isn't the way you expect to be going? For example, I wasn't planning on telling you this story I'm about to tell you, but the way has changed. I'm going to tell you this story because this just happened to me yesterday. Uh, yesterday, I was participating in a run, a race. I like to run, and so there was a race that I was doing, and it wasn't anything substantial or, you know, it was just kind of a fun race to participate in. And just so you know that I'm not, you know, like telling you I'm great because I did a running race, I think I literally came in dead last in this race. So there's absolutely nothing to brag about at all. But yesterday morning, it was a cold morning. The race was at Shampooey, you know where that is, down near Newburgh, St. Paul area. And uh, it was about 10 minutes before the race, and the race director was kind of getting everybody ready for the start line, and he was giving some instructions about what was happening in the race. And there were different lengths that people had signed up for. And based on the length that you had signed up for, you got a particular color on your bib uh, and you were supposed to follow certain directions based on the color on that bib. And as he's given these instructions, he's saying, okay, so if you're running this distance, that means follow this color for the turnaround. And everyone started getting a little bit confused because we were looking and we're like, well, that's my distance, but that's not my color. 
that I have on my bib. That didn't make much sense. And everyone's kind of like mumbling a little bit, like, what's going on here? Pretty soon, with the, the confusion, there came a little bit of conflict as well. So other race organizers went up to the race director in front of everybody and started kind of like trying to figure out, hey, what's going on here? And finally, eventually, the guy had to say, look, I, I actually, I, I don't know what I put out there on the race course exactly. It may be the wrong color. I, it's too late for me to go check. We're about to start the race. Uh, but here's what you need to know. If you're running this length or this length, turn around at the first turnaround. If you're running this other length, don't turn around at the first turnaround. You have to go beyond that to the second turnaround, and then you're going to turn around. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> we can do that. We can make that work. Okay, so pretty soon the race starts, and we all start heading out there, and the first turnaround was this big, you know, there were things on both sides. There was a little bar you had to step over. There were little uh, readers there that measured your tri your, the chip on your uh, bib, and it beeped as you went through. It's this incredibly obvious thing. I'm like, all right, I've passed through the first marker. And so there's like a group of us that keep going, and some people turn around because they're doing a different length. And we keep going on and going on, and pretty soon people in front of me are turning back suddenly. I'm like, what, what's going on? They're like, we passed the second marker. I'm like, no, 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 we didn't pass the second marker. We only passed the first marker. They're like, no, 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 we passed the second one. I'm like, it was just the first one. Come on, we got to keep going. So they started following me. All right, let's keep going <laughs> along on this race. <laughs> oh, boy. But then someone behind is like, no, no, we passed the second marker. We passed the second marker. So some of them decide we're not going to follow this guy. They go back and they turn around. But there's still some people going along with me and we're getting up and pretty soon we get to the highway. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> there's nothing, there's no turnaround. There's you know, no direction at T's and it's not telling you to go anywhere. And people are like, ah, we're going back. I'm like, no, no, I think it's this way. And a guy pulls out his map. On, a, on his phone, and he's like, yes, yeah, yeah, see, look, we're supposed to go through Butteville. We go down the highway, and we go through the town of Butteville. I'm like, all right, let's go, and we start hollering at all the other people. We were the last two standing at that point. Everyone else had turned back. We started hollering at him, come on, come on, we got to go down through Butteville. So he was going to try and track them down, and I just started running again down through Butteville, and I'd look behind me every once in a while, and nobody was coming after me. <laughs> Finally, I get all the way through Butteville, and I'm like, well, all right, I pull out my phone, I look at a map. Oh, my map is different than his map. <laughs> my map says we were not supposed to make it as far as Butteville. I'm like, oh, okay. So I turn around, I start running back, and I'm thinking, all right, how do I measure my distance now? Because you got to do several loops, and then I was just like, what am I doing? Forget this. I'm just going to keep going in the other direction, and I know how much distance I'm supposed to get, so I'm just going to run out half that distance, and then I'm going to run back. And so I had to climb up this hill out of Butteville onto what I guess maybe is a butte or something like that, <laughs> and it's a farm road where people drive like 87 miles per hour <laughs> wherever they go, and there's no shoulder on the road at all. Literally not one bit of shoulder. And the weather yesterday was terrible, so the wind is just like pounding against me, which is no fun to run in the wind. And the cars, you know, I think some of these cars, they have it out for runners. They don't like runners. They could move over, but instead they lean in. They lean in toward the runner, 
And there are several times when I have, like, have to get off the road, and I don't know what I'm stepping in, and then there are all these rocks there, and I run with a, I run a barefoot running, so like, I feel every rock. You know, if I'm stepping on rocks, that's really going to hurt. So there were some painful moments. It was a little riskier, for sure. It was a little more dangerous. But I got to tell you, once I got up there and I was out on that country road, oh, I just was, I was all alone. And I just thought, well, I wasn't alone. I was with Jesus. I'm just going to make this a really worshipful moment. So I was just singing worship songs out loud. I was just talking to Jesus out loud. It ended up being really wonderful. And I got to the distance I needed to. I ended up getting back and crossing the finish line. But I don't think I crossed all the markers, which is probably why I came in dead last in that race. Sometimes the way we expect to go is not the way that we end up taking in life, right? Sometimes it's a little different. Sometimes it's a lot different. Luke He's the author of the book of Acts that we've been going through. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he's telling a story about Jesus. Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem, and he was with his disciples and praying with them. And he was telling them that when he gets to Jerusalem, he was going to have to suffer many things. And then he said this to his disciples. This is found in Luke chapter 9. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That Jesus. He was always saying things like that. Really challenging people a lot. I'm glad I wasn't on the receiving end of that, right? We'll leave that to the first century Middle Easterners. (laughs) You don't think he meant us, do you? You You don't think he meant modern Americans, do you? Did he mean you? What about you? Think he meant you, Rob? Yeah? Wayne? Think he meant you? Oh. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And it's not just for first century followers. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, you have to give up your own way, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. This actually connects really well with the Lent period of time that we're at in the church right now, because in Lent, we're kind of on this journey to the cross. We're preparing our hearts and our minds for Good Friday, which is when we remember Jesus being crucified on the cross. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, when God raised him from the dead. And during this time of Lent, there's some people who are denying themselves of something. They're fasting from something in order to identify with Jesus's suffering and also with his fasting that he did in the wilderness for 40 days. And that idea of self-denial actually connects well with what Jesus is saying here, because that phrase, you have to give up your own way, is usually translated, you have to deny yourself. 
And just a fun fact for you, if you've ever heard of the Stations of the Cross, these are the 14 images that depict Jesus' passion, his suffering and his death on the cross. That is usually emphasized during the period of Lent. And traditionally, it's not just called the Stations of the Cross. It's called the Way of the Cross. The Way of Jesus is the Way of the Cross. So let me ask you this question, and I'm looking for responses from you. What does that look like for us in our lives? What does it look like? What does it mean to give up our way and to take up our cross daily? Confusing. I'm right there with you. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it is definitely confusing. What does that look like for me? Personally, I don't own a cross, at least not one of any significance that I have to pick up. So, yeah, that's confusing. Saying no. Sometimes it means saying no. That sense of denying self is uh, uh, sometimes a, a no to the things that we desire that aren't the right things for us, that God didn't create us for those things. So a saying no, yeah. Being available is what I heard. I heard there were two responses there, but being available, absolutely. Yeah, you have to be available to God. Where is he calling you in your life? Or what is he calling you to in any particular circumstance? Are you locked into your own way, or are you available to follow Jesus? Even if suffering is part of that journey, yeah, like running on rocks on the side of the highway by myself, yeah, yeah. The irony here is that Jesus says, that you have to give up your own way. And do you notice I went my own way? That was maybe part of the problem. All right, look, the analogy is going to break down. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but suffering, yes, is, that, is a, that can be a real thing that most of us don't typically experience, not in the same way that Jesus was talking about or that Paul experiences here in what we're going to be looking at. But we have to be willing and ready, I think, at the same time. Yeah. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. This is, this is the way of the cross. It's a pretty important statement because it is for everybody. And it's a description of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So we've got to pay attention to that. But you know what? That's not actually the passage we're looking at today. So, you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, not the book of Luke. And the book of Acts right now, we've been going through On Mission uh, is the name of that, the series where we're kind of looking at the, the earliest followers of Jesus. How did they follow Jesus after Jesus had gone away? And we're seeing how they're empowered by the Spirit in order to be witnesses of Jesus throughout their lives and throughout the world as well. And we're seeing often how they denied themselves in order to follow Jesus, in order to follow the way. They gave up 
their own way. In fact, those first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. Absolutely. That's what we see in Acts several times over. Now, we're almost done with this series. After this Sunday, we only have two Sundays left. And if you're looking at the book, you know there's a lot more to cover, which means we can't cover all the details. So I would encourage you just to read it on your own. Try to get some of those details for yourself since we can't cover it all here today. Now today, though, we are going to be in Acts chapters 21 and 22. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, I would encourage you to open it up there. I'm going to try and summarize what's happening here in this part of the story because it's so much to cover. But basically, Paul is moving toward Jerusalem. He has set his mind on going toward Jerusalem, which means he's leaving Greece and Turkey, modern Greece, modern Turkey, those places where he had been. He just left Ephesus, saying goodbye to the Ephesus church in chapter 20. And then here at the first part of, uh, the, of chapter 21, he arrives in Tyre. Tyre is on the coast in Lebanon. So he's really close to Israel at this point, back toward the promised land. He gets to Tyre and he meets up with the believers who are there, that is the followers of Jesus who are there, and then there's an encounter with the Spirit. So here's what it says in verse 4. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Well, Paul does continue on, and the next stop that he makes is just south along the coast in Caesarea. And in Caesarea, which is almost Israel, it's in Samaria, there's another encounter with the Spirit. And this comes through Agabus, the prophet. And it says in verse 10, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Well, Paul decides to continue on anyway, and the next thing that happens, he's in Jerusalem. And he's met with joy initially in Jerusalem. But there's some confusion there because the believers who receive him with joy also warn him that there are other Jewish followers of Jesus who think that the law is really important and that they've heard that Paul preaches that people shouldn't follow the law any longer. And so they say to him, we need you to kind of just prove to them before there's any trouble that you do care about the law. And so we want you to pay for some vows that these guys are going to be taking, and we want you to take those vows with them. Well, Paul agrees to do that. Now, part of the vows ends up leading them to the temple. And so they end up in the temple. But in the temple, there's a little bit of trouble for them as well. So in verse 27, it says, the seven days were almost ended. That's the seven days of the vow that they took. When some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. This mob 
was out to kill him. In fact, they took him, they started beating him, and it says that they were out to kill him in that process. Well, this causes a whole lot of turmoil, and the Roman authorities who are overseeing the land, they don't like turmoil at all. So the Roman commander comes in to see what's causing all of the problem, and he sees Paul there as being kind of the central problem in this whole mob, and so he takes him, and he binds him. He arrests him. So just as Agabus the prophet said, Paul is now bound, and he's arrested. But there's confusion there. The Roman just wants to stop the trouble. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't even know who Paul is. So later on, in verse 38, he's talking to Paul, and he says, Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, that's not Paul. He's a little bit confused at what's happening in the midst of all of this conflict. Well, anyway, Paul convinces the Roman commander to let him speak to the mob. And so Paul begins to give his testimony to this mob. And at first, it's going okay, but then something ends up going a little bit wrong. So in chapter 22 now, when we look at verse 21, it says, But the Lord said to me, this is Paul talking, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow. That could also be translated as kill him, by the way. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The Roman commander got him out of there as quickly as he could, and then they tied Paul up, preparing to torture him in order to get a confession out of him. Well, things aren't going very well for Paul in Jerusalem, huh? But I guess that's to be expected. He was warned about it. And in this passage, these two chapters, it's just like swirling with confusion and with conflict and with suffering. There's all this confusion and conflict with these different groups. There's the Romans. The Romans just want things to settle down, and they're going to do whatever it takes to settle things down, including torturing Paul, even though they don't know who he is or even realize that he's a Roman citizen. Then there's the Jews. The Jews don't like Paul at all because he's preaching about something else and particularly about going off to the Gentiles. They're out for blood, even if they don't fully understand what Paul is talking about. Then there's the Jewish believers. These are Jewish followers of Jesus who really held a high regard for the law and still practiced the law. And maybe for you, that's one that causes the most confusion. Like, why did Paul agree to take the vows? Why did he submit himself to that? There's no argument against it that he offers in any way. Well, my guess is your circumstances are a little bit different than Paul's circumstances in life. But I'm also willing to bet that you have faced confusion and conflict and suffering of some sort in your life. Now, I know those things, confusion and conflict and suffering, they happen 
for all sorts of reasons in our lives. I want to acknowledge that. There are lots of causes for those things in our lives. But how often is confusion and conflict and suffering caused by us following our own way? I know that it is for me in my life. There's confusion when I'm trying to follow my own way and I'm not getting it. There's conflict within relationships when my ego or my selfishness or my pride gets in the way. There's suffering sometimes that happens because of the choices that I make in life, like this choice. Get some needed sleep, watch 18 more episodes of The Office. can bring about a little bit of suffering for me. I think there's a lot of confusion in this passage too when I look at it on what's happening with the involvement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's very involved in what's happening. And first you see it in Tyre where it says that the believers warned Paul through the Spirit not to go on to Jerusalem. Then in Caesarea... You have Agabus the prophet saying, if you go on to Jerusalem, you're basically going to suffer. You're going to deal with some hard things. The other believers, they didn't like that message at all. Remember, they begged Paul not to go on. But Paul did go on. Paul did decide to go to Jerusalem. So here's the question. Was Paul supposed to go on to Jerusalem? Was he supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit there? Or was he supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit back in chapter 20? Verse 22, where he says, And now I am bound by the Spirit. That's the same word that Agabus used to describe what would happen to him in Jerusalem, to be bound. I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So Paul feels bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and everybody else feels compelled by the Spirit to warn him not to go. What way is Paul going to choose? He's going to choose the way of Jesus. He's going to choose the way of the cross. Now, it's a struggle for us when we look at this because you and I, I'm guessing, don't like confusion and conflict and suffering in our lives. We like clarity. We like things that are black and white, like clearly marked races that we're trying to do where we know exactly where to turn around. Give me some clarity in that. Don't make everything gray or confusing all the time. We want clarity. We also have an aversion to conflict. Now, some of us might be good at stirring up conflict, but we don't like to be the focal point of the conflict. We don't want the mob turned against us because of who we are or because of something 
that we say. And I think it's pretty obvious, none of us really want to suffer. But even more than that, we really like our comfort. We've got a lot of comfort. And increasingly so, generation by generation. My grandfather, who, if he were still alive, would be 103 this month. I remember him telling me when he was a young man that they, or a boy, they didn't have the means to be able to take hot showers all the time. So once a week, he and his siblings all got a warm bath. And that's when he got to bathe himself. Let me just tell you, literally every single day, I thank God for a hot shower. <laughs> literally, I'm not like exaggerating. Every single day, I thank God for a hot shower. That's something that we're just accustomed to now. And that continues on generation after generation. We have more comfort for all of us. The problem is that all of that sedates us from the greater reality that the Bible is trying to teach us, that Jesus is trying to teach us, that Paul is trying to teach us, that Luke is trying to teach us. We're asleep to the most important things in life because our comforts keep singing a lullaby to us continually. By this point in the story of Acts, Paul has likely already written his letter to the Ephesian church. And in that letter, he says this to the Ephesian church. He says, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. It's hard to overcome those comforts. I recognize that in myself a lot. Some of you know that Steph and I, we were in Pakistan about 13 years ago, and it was an incredible experience. There were risks involved with being there. There were challenges and difficulties with living life there in Pakistan. But I always thought after that, I want to go back. I want to go back there. But I can tell you, Year after year, the more that I have around me here, if God did say, now's the time to go back to Pakistan, that'd be a harder choice. It'd be harder to give up my own way, to deny myself in order to pick up my cross and go to Pakistan. And that's the comfort that's around me. But I'm a follower of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. How am I living my life in such a way that's in line with that cross? How did Paul follow Jesus in that way? How did he take the way of the cross? It's pretty obvious in this passage. He denied himself. In fact, if you were to read his speech to the mob, he gives his testimony and he starts off by saying, Hey, I was one of you. In fact, I was the best of all of you. I was the most successful. I was trained by the best teacher. I was the most zealous. I did more than all of you. He was on the success track. But when he followed Jesus, he had to deny himself. He had to give up his own way, which I'm guessing those things were really important to him. And instead, 
he had to take up his cross, which on one hand for him meant going in a a totally different direction in his life. And, And on the other hand, obviously to be willing to suffer and to die for Jesus, even knowing that it was going to happen. And then on the last instance, to follow Jesus, absolutely he was following Jesus. In fact, I've told you before that Luke has this literary strategy where he's trying to show that Paul is an apostle like Peter. Well, in this section of the, of the story, he's actually employing a literary strategy to show that Paul is like Jesus because he uses the same phrases, the same verbiage in this portion of Acts that he does in telling the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He's trying to show Paul is faithfully following in the footsteps of Jesus. So absolutely, he's doing that. He has total confidence in God. He has courage through it all, and he has a conviction to keep moving in that direction. The question is, how did he do that? How did he have that conviction and that courage and that confidence in God through it all? I think certainly by this point in the story, Paul has already written his letter to the Galatian church. And in that letter to the Galatian church, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And this life I live In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up on my behalf. This is the way that Paul lived. Yeah, he was a bit radical. Yes, he lived in extreme circumstances. But this is actually the way it is for every follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, if any of you want to follow after me, you have to give up your own way, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. Taking up your cross daily. My guess is uh, you've not been totally attacked by a mob physically. My guess is you haven't been knocked off of your horse while riding to Damascus and blinded for three days by Jesus and then miraculously healed from that as well. My guess is your circumstances are a little bit different than Paul's, not having been arrested and tortured by Roman authorities. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you still have to give up your own way and deny yourself and take up your cross daily. It's kind of challenging, though, when we look at Paul, because we see what he's doing, and we already mentioned this about suffering, that there is an expectation that as a follower of Jesus, there there has to be a willingness to even suffer for the name of Jesus, or even being willing to lay down your own life for the name of Jesus. But we don't need to go all the way to that extreme all the time, right? Because that's not our normal circumstance. But Jesus, in his words, he gives a clue that it's actually a broader meaning than all of that because he says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. 
You can only die once. You can't die again and again. You can only be a martyr once. You can't do that again and again. But every day, we have to pick up our cross in some way. And how do we do that? That verse from Galatians is how we do that. We live a life as if crucified. We've died to ourselves so that Christ can live in us. Someone who is sharing in that suffering with Jesus, who lives that crucified life, isn't worried about reputation or persona or success, the way of their lives and what they're trying to accomplish. They're not worried about what they need to protect, what they need to watch over. They're not worried about their ego, how they can build up their own kingdom, how they can fulfill their own desires, how they can stroke their own ego, because instead they've died to those things and now they're following Jesus. They have taken up their cross, they've crucified themselves. They're not out for themselves any longer. There's a quote here from Dallas Willard. He's a, he was a great uh, philosopher, Christian philosopher, and he says this, as long as one thinks anything may really be more valuable than fellowship with Jesus in his kingdom, one cannot learn from him. When we still see our own way as more important to us, more valuable to us, we're not ready to listen to what Jesus is calling us to. We've got to give up our way, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. Now, I think sometimes uh, when we hear some of these things, like maybe I can see it on your face right now, like, great, wow, that's wonderful. The Christian life is so much fun, isn't it? So much self-denial and sacrifice and difficulty and suffering and I guess I can't really think about what I want anymore and just what about Jesus wants and, and that's it. I don't think that's really the case though. I don't think that's what's coming across. I think honestly, part of the challenge is that we've been conditioned over several generations now to think more and more about me, to think more and more about who I am and what I need. I've been reading this book by David Brooks lately called The Second Mountain, and I highly recommend it because he does a really good job of, kind of explaining this, how starting with boomers, the, the way that we started talking reflected much more of me and what I want and what I desire. And that continued on in increasing fashion generation after generation. But here's the thing. That's not actually fulfilling for us. You can see that now when there's so much, there's so many problems in our world, so much anxiety in our world, so much this sense of 
trying to figure out how do I identify myself? But in reality, the crucified life is saying, I'm taking on that identity of Jesus. That's what it means to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. It's to take on that identity, the crucified identity of Jesus. Sounds hard, and it is. Let me tell you, it's hard for me all the time. I don't do this well. It's like, I got to be honest with you on this, you know? There are times in my life where I feel like maybe I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little more crucified and other times where it's not as much. That's where God's grace is in all of this. But it is what he's calling us to, not to continue on our own way, but to pick up that cross daily and to follow Jesus. When we have that conviction, when we have uh, that courage to do so, and we have the confidence in God in where he's leading us, that honestly is much more fulfilling than ever focusing on ourselves. God's purpose for us is bigger than any purpose we could put on our own life. It's far more important. I'm going to finish here with just one more quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a 20th century, that's not true, he was a 19th century Keswick pastor from South Africa. He says, Oh, we find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will, while we keep going in our own way. God loves you so much. He showed that through Jesus, through his sacrifice. And he wants something better for you than what you can make up on your own way. Let's pray. Yeah, you're good, Lord. Jesus, you are good. We trust in you. Help us to follow you. Um, I pray, God, that uh, if any of this feels harsh to anybody, that your grace would just cover that. That you would reveal to each person in this room how much you love them, how much you care about them, how you're with them no matter what circumstances they're, they're in or where they're at on their journey of following you. I thank you for the grace you offer me in my own life as I stumble around either ignoring a cross or just struggling to even pick it up. I pray, God, that you would teach us what it is to truly follow you and to give up our own way. And at the same time, help us to know what that means while we still live our lives, while we still go about our day-to-day -day business. We just want to follow you, Lord. We love you. Amen.